So the lecture you're about to hear is from Psychology and Biology 3506, Neuropharmacology from Algoma University. I, I'm the instructor, Dave Broadbeck, uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck. So um, I hope you like it. Uh, I hope you get something out of it. Fr frankly, I only hope you get something out of it if you're one of my students. If you're not, that's great. And I'm glad you're listening in on a university class you're not taking. Fine. Um, but yeah. Uh, so without further ado, let's listen to a little intro of a song and then a lecture. Well, it's way, Lord, way. It's what she said to me, it's why I'm gone. To sin see that's right, I'm on the next flight to win. All right, so welcome back. Uh, a couple things, or maybe one thing before we get going. I guess maybe two. First thing is, uh, there is a test a week from today, your second test, okay? Same format as last time. So it'll be 10 multiple choice, 10 fill in the blank, and uh, some questions worth a total of 30 points. So that'll be, you know, 10, 10, 30. So a total of 50. I don't know if it's five or six questions yet. I haven't, haven't made a test yet. But it'll be five or six questions. Uh, and those are the short answers. So that's everything from nicotine, I think, on. Because uh, the first one was up to benzodiazepines and barbiturates, this is the next set of stuff. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is, on the Thursday is our first set of presentations. A couple of things about how this is gonna work. If your group is signed up to give a presentation on Thursday, on Tuesday, on the Tuesday, you will get an email uh, to both of you. Just one of you needs reply with your file that is your presentation. There will be a naming convention and it'll tell you exactly how to name your file. If your file is named incorrectly, you just lost 20% of your mark on your presentation. Name it properly. It's really easy to do. You think that's hard ass? My brother fails people who you don't capitalize the names of their files for his class. So. I'm the nice broadcast. Uh, so anyway, uh, so that's coming up. And remember, if you haven't got a partner yet, please, I'm sure everybody who's here has one, but if you don't, you gotta get on that really, really soon. We're gonna run out of slots. Also, if you haven't signed up yet for your time, you wanna do that now. Because if you don't get a time, I'm not putting new slots in. So do that. So if you got your topic approved, a vast majority of you have. If you haven't got a partner yet, please let me know so we can work something out, get you. I'll see if I can, I, I've had pretty good success. That's why you keep getting those emails that say, hey, do you have a partner yet? That's me emailing all of you, by the way. You don't have to reply with, no, I got one. That's, I've, I've told every, that's everybody. Uh, but I've had pretty good success with then people saying, I don't have a partner, I don't have a partner, and then I email with two people. Hey, look, you guys, you're partners. I like to hope at some point that I've met, had two people meet and they'll become friends for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and they can all say, they can go back to, well, that's all because of Dave Broadbeck, because he's awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's the deal. Um, that's coming up as well. Uh, I look forward to those. The way those are gonna work, by the way, is that there's no chance really that we're gonna be able to have a whole lot of questions from the audience. You will have a question from me. Everybody gets a question from me. And that's what you're marked on. And it's not a hard question, don't worry. But others of you might have questions. Very often there will be time, no problem. 
but oftentimes there won't be. But if you have a question, there will be a, a, a Google form link will be sent to the class before each class. And put a question down, write something down, and you'll have your name. And that's a way, that's another way that I can look for participation points for you. Some of you don't like raising your hand, some of you don't like talking, but now I have a record of other people who have done things, okay? So that putting your hand up is just as good as writing an answer in there. And by the way, those things will close every day as soon as the class ends, so we don't have to going around and people who aren't even in the class typing things. Anyway, the fact that I have to deal with anything like that is just mind-boggling to me. Anyway, that's the way it is. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's coming up. And uh, I really look forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. By the way, maximum on the presentation, 10 minutes. Maximum 10 minutes. You can, you can go under. And in fact, some of your classmates will think of you as probably a hero if you're about <laughs> seven minutes or something like that. Just because you know, you give more people time, but 10 minutes max, okay? You go over 10 minutes, every 30 seconds over 10 minutes, you start losing points. It looks like you were putting that Yeah, I did, yes. <laughs> um, Couldn't tell if that was just a picture here. Does that like mean 10 minutes, like even when you're asking a question? No, no, no. Your, your talking part is 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I time it. Like I have a... Yeah. And I, 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 as soon as... Once I've done introducing you and I sit down and everybody gets a really lame introduction because I run into things to say and then, you know, I start... I start like I said, there may be a chance for your, cla for your classmates to have questions. It really depends on how things go in the class. Yeah, I know this is overly specific, but like, are there, is there a question for like each of us, or is it just like a question? No, it's for both of okay. you. And the thing is, whoever wants to answer it can answer it, but you can also say, what about this? Like, you can certainly consult for 10 seconds if you want to, okay. but I think one of you will probably be just, it might not be a bad idea to just say, I'm going to answer the questions, like between the two people, whoever's more confident speaking. That kind of thing, that's, that's a good idea. But yeah, you both, remember, you're both marked the same. Okay, so don't forget to practice, eh? And here's just one tip, there's one tip. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you two tips. I thought of a second one, as I said, one tip. The first tip is this, a group presentation is easy to do. Here's how not to do it. I read the word antidepressants and then Isaac reads the words biology. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> don't switch back and forth. Like, sentence to sentence. Obviously, you're going to switch back and forth, but don't switch back and forth sentence to sentence. It's just clunky. It doesn't work. The other thing, uh, your slides, just make them plain looking. There's nothing. That's not true. I was going to say there's nothing I hate more, and there's a long list of things I hate. But uh, one of the things I really dislike in presentations is overly busy slides for no reason. Oh, look, a sunset background. That wasn't necessary. I don't need that. I don't need a little dancing Jesus gift in the corner. Like, it's just not. It's a Simpsons episode like that. I said that once, and of course, and of course, guess, a uh, student actually did that. Uh, which I thought was great, and I, I actually, my, I didn't give him a bonus point, but one of my comments on this thing said, I appreciated that a great deal. Uh, right, so, any questions on that before we, before? you're not giving me a presentation. Yes? Um, do you want the presentation to kind of follow, like, the format that you do in class, like, involving, like, a history? If, it, if it's meaningful to you, and it's going to help us understand, but only then, it needn't be like the way I've done these stuff Okay. It should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
So, which is most, I mean, almost anything I say should have that. You don't have to do that. If, if you think it's a useful thing, like, what's your topic here? Oh, the, the history is fascinating. So if you want to throw that in, go ahead. Yeah. So if I talk about something in class, you can assume, you, you, you know what you can assume? You can work under the assumption that the people listening have heard me say it. You can then say, but to quickly review and go and do it quickly, like those are perfectly reasonable stylistic choices. But you can also assume that people were here. You can assume people have read the book. I assume you've all read the book already. I know that's probably not true, but I just work under that assumption. Yeah. Because yeah. my group is doing the history of beer. Do you want, do you want us to define beer? Because we're doing. We know beer. <laughs> yeah, we know beer. It's, for, it's fermented uh, barley water. We know what that is. So we're good. Okay. Well, like I said, there may be a chance that for all this, it depends on how the rhythm of it gets going each day. What I'll often do is if you've answered my question quickly, I'll say, does anybody else have it? And you want, by that point, by the way, once I say, does anybody else have any questions? on the presentations. I've already given you a mark for presentations. You have to worry. So that means also planting softball questions with your friends doesn't help. Okay. Are we good? All good. John speaks for the class. I'm sure you've, I'm glad that you've elected him. <laughs> what are you doing? I feel like I'm president. <laughs> I don't know if you're president of, but okay. President of the, uh, I don't know. Let's talk about antidepressants. Let's talk about drugs that are actually legal and useful. We're on a, on a roll doing that. Um, antidepressants, this is, it's interesting. Um, a lot of these drugs that we talk about in this course you may not have any experience with, but I guarantee you someone in this room takes an antidepressant. And that's not because I know that. That's not me letting, you know, something that I found out and then I'm gonna tell, and it's you. Um, this is, I love this chart because this is uh, from, this is a list of antidepressants, the number of prescriptions given in the United States in the year 2018. It's not a small number. Yeah, you've got to understand that not all these drugs are being prescribed as antidepressants. There are off-label uses of these drugs. Uh, especially the SSRI group, which you can see is mostly up at the top here. Um, that group, those ones up here, SSRIs are, are given for all kinds of things other than depression. Uh, we've also got, uh, let's see, some, well you can actually see here there's very few monoamine oxidase inhibitors here. In fact, there aren't any in that bunch, which is interesting. So it's basically serotonin reuptake inhibitors. All right. It's pretty obvious what these drugs are for. They've got a pretty descriptive name, <laughs> antidepressants. These are used, of course, to treat depression. But you've got to ask yourself what depression is. So can I, how many people here have taken or are taking psychopathology? This is a couple of you. Well, that's good, so I can basically just say stuff and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Because I, I have. I took psychopathology in 1987. Long laugh. <laughs> I know I'm older than you, but I'm not, and, and your parents. But uh, yeah, it was a while ago. Now the definition of depression hasn't changed. So what's depression? It's not just feeling down, though. That's part of it. 
That's part of it. But it's not just feeling death. We use, in popular parlance, it's fine. But in popular parlance, we often say, oh, I feel depressed. And you're not depressed. You feel shitty, having a bad day. But yeah, but you're probably not actually depressed. Right? I have somehow less problem with that than I do with people saying that they're, oh, I feel a little OCD. That's not a thing. Don't do that. It's not nice. Like, do you ever say, oh, I, got, I feel like I've got to touch it, just a, just a little tiny bit of diabetes today. <laughs> it's, it's, these are serious medical conditions. Don't, don't, you know. But the word depression has this, this, this sort of popular meaning. It's okay, I guess that's wrong. Uh, but it isn't just feeling down, right? It's, it's you're feeling down, but also your affect is flat. You don't feel, everything's blunted. It's like you feel nothing. Which is something that oh, you know, most of us have never actually felt. Like. It's the sort, sort of thing you feel like, you know, after a death in a family, that kind of really horrible, just like, you're not sad anymore, you're just like, you got nothing. You know that feeling, right? But it's like that all the time. <laughs> it's like that all the time. That's the difference. There's almost a lack of emotion. It's, it's not, it's just this flat affect. It does seem to be more common now than it has been for quite a while. Now I think it's more, it seems more common now because people are not as afraid to discuss it anymore. The stigma that's attached to people being on antidepressants and having a diagnosis of major depressive disorder or something, it's kind of gone. When I first was teaching this, the first time I taught this course was in 1998, and I don't remember a single person saying that they took antidepressants, and not, I'm not asking anybody to tell me. All I'm saying is that I have had on a number of occasions since people just say, well, I take this, and they so what does that do? And like, they're totally open with it, which I think is the way you should be. Um, the concentration on, quote, mental health is generally a good thing. I wish we'd just say health because this whole dualism, mind-body bullshit that people all seem to believe. But that's, that's kind of philosophical. Uh, so I just think, I wish we'd just call it health. But the idea that just part of being healthy is good because I wouldn't be embarrassed if I was by the... There's always going to be embarrassed if you're depressed, right? You're sick, you need help. That's what that means. It's a sickness. It's, you know, right. I, it's hard, you know, I know I probably have to say that to a group full of people taking the course that has ESYC in the beginning, but I still feel like I should. So, in general, what we're talking about here is major depressive disorder and bipolar affective disorder. Um, major depressive disorder, low self-esteem, One of the things, in fact, that happens, a really cool thing that happens in memory is we have a thing called the Pollyanna effect. And the Pollyanna is from, it's a, it's a book about a ridiculously positive person. So much so that we say somebody's being Pollyanna-ish if they're overly positive. So one of the things that happens in memory research is something called the Pollyanna effect. What that means is 
if I give you a list of words, you're going to remember the words happy, joy, and fun better than the words death, sad, destruction. You just will, unless you're depressed. Then it works literally exactly the opposite way. Not that's not a diagnosed, diagnostic tool for being depressed, but it does show up being depressed. So people have low self-esteem, even to the point of when they see words that are happy, they don't remember them. Their self-esteem can be so low that it's often said that one of the side effects of antidepressant drugs is suicide, and it's not. That's an antidepressant effect. Is it what? Yeah, because people now feel that they're just feeling good enough that they won't screw up killing themselves. Seriously. One of the most dangerous times for a depressed patient is when they're, they start their antidepressants. Because when they start to work, they start thinking just enough self-efficacy, you know? Um, we also do the fundamental attribution error, right? What do we do? We all, we all get through our lives like this. We say, good things happen, they're my fault, bad things happen, it's the universe. We just do this, don't we? Right? How many times, when you're, if you're driving a car, most of you guys all drive, and you're, I don't drive, but I can pretend I play a lot of video games, and when someone cuts you off, it's their fault. Isn't it? They're a bad person, bad driver. But when you cut somebody off, what do you do? You don't yell, I'm a shitty person! <laughs> you know? What do you do? You say, sorry. You don't say, and when someone, again, when someone cuts you off, you don't say, oh, he must be having a really bad day and be distracted. You think, no, it's a lousy driver. Unless you're depressed, and then you think it's all your fault all the time, everything. So again, this isn't the same as just being sad. And again, this is how you, I, I think we've probably all felt like this for periods of time. And in fact, it's normal to feel like this for periods of time under certain situations. I remember when my dad died, my mom telling me how she felt, and I, I said, it's totally normal. I'd be a little concerned if you weren't upset, mom. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's when it lasts, and it just forever, and then there's another six months kind of thing. But you can be totally normal, this can be a totally normal experience if it goes away. There's also, this is something that's lost, is a loss of interest in anything that you like. And also just being sore, pain. Your body just hurts. Like, this isn't a good time. If it was fun, we wouldn't invent drugs to treat it. And then there's uh, bipolar, which we have this, plus manic uh, episodes, uh, which at first sound like they're kind of fun. Well, it's the opposite of depression. It must be good. I, I was just wondering, with the fundamental attribution error, yeah. can that be used to refer to like the normal thing, and then also with depressed people? Like, well, that it's, that's not the fundamental attribution error because the fundamental attribution error is everything good that happens to me is because I did something really bad that happens is because something else, which is still an error, but it's normal. Everybody, it's cross-cultural. We all feel like this. This is a human thing. Right? It gets us through the day, no matter if we're hunter-gatherers and the Amazon or people living in Sustainable Ontario. Those are kind of cool things. Self-deception is the best kind of deception. 
So it's the opposite of depression, but it's people are irritable. They seem fun until you challenge them, until you say, I don't think it's a good idea for you to max out your credit card so you can buy everybody in this bar drinks. Then they get mad at you. They feel this thing called pressure of speech. This is, this is a fascinating thing because they feel like they can't stop talking. It's like there's an internal thing making them speak. And people who are going through manic episodes will feel invincible until, again, until you challenge them. I can do this. Nothing bad will happen to me. That kind of thinking. Okay? So that's what depression is. Uh, is there more of it? Here's some data from 2012. American data from the National Institutes of Mental Health. So a lot of times you'll hear people say that it's because they have kids and there's a lot of pressure with that. So this is interesting data here because it's looking at, the, at your kid. You can see here, in fact, that this is percentage of people um, that, report, that, that have reported depressive symptoms. These are not small numbers, by the way. But it's not the key. See what it is? It's your income. Can money buy happiness? No. But you know what it can buy? A car that drives right up next to happiness and sits beside it. It's actually an Eddie Van Halen quote that he said quote. So it, it's really, as with most things, we've talked about this already a few times, socioeconomic status is a really good predictor of drug problems, but it's also a really good predictor of psychological problems just in general. Does it mean that people who are wealthy don't have problems? That's not what that means. It means it's less likely. It doesn't make it any less severe, it's just less likely. Sure. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of hand waving in this one. Because we, unlike, remember, schizophrenia, it's the dopamine. Next. We don't kind of think it, it seems to have something to do with monoamine neurotransmitters. Has something to do with them. I've been informed, by the way, that one of the new projectors is in. And the other one's coming, and then the mounts are coming. I don't know. Look, this one works. I'm taking my, my small victories. That's, So that's uh, serotonin, uh, norepinephrine, uh, dopamine. And especially serotonin. Now, is it not enough serotonin that is the cause of depression? Uh, probably not. No, it's probably not just that. But it, does it have something to do with serotonin? Probably. There's a lot of thoughts about what it is. Um, but yeah, it's not just that. <laughs> and we know this because we can give the drugs and they don't work right away. It takes time. 
commonality here is that any drug that seems to work for depression also works as serotonergic synapses. Well, if it's working as serotonin synapses, serotonin probably plays a role. It's a reasonable assumption. Uh, early days, by the way, you may hear things like we're not sure if things like SSRIs work. They probably do work. They work. I'm not going to say they work. They work as much as we'd like. That's probably a bad, better. Not as much as we would hope. You can't just take a pill and it goes away. I keep hearing this thing online that I'm pretty sure is probably BS, but I keep seeing people seeing people saying that antidepressants don't work at all and that like they're not better than a placebo. That's not true. <laughs> That's just simply not true. I read That's three. I read three review articles this afternoon. Well, not this afternoon. This morning, just to be sure what I said. This, no, that's a crock of shit. Uh, do they have? Are they instant panacea? No, God no. They aren't like antipsychotic drugs, which basically, when you find the right one, the symptoms go away. There's side effects we talked about before the break, and they aren't incredibly pleasant. But you know, or it's not like we have this notion, I guess, that drugs always have to work do something right away and fix it, and they don't. Sometimes they just control things. Like taking, taking insulin doesn't cure your diabetes. It could control it, you could live a pretty normal life. In fact, almost completely normal, except the fact you gotta jab yourself now and then, you know, a few times a day. But there are, you know, there are NHL hockey players who are diabetic, and type one diabetes that inject themselves during games. I mean, it does, it's a real thing, and I think we expect, though, the control that we get for something complicated like depression to work as well as something like, say, insulin for diabetes. It's just not going to. Um, and part of that's because we don't know the mechanism yet for what causes depression. We just don't know. But the idea that they don't work, very early studies showed a lot of these things didn't work. Like, uh, not studies, but uh, 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 meta-analyses showed they pro that were, were, were equivocal. Some showed, some of these, these meta-analyses showed an effect, some didn't. Uh, the, a couple things you can say, first of all, to anybody that says that, that while sometimes you might see single studies that don't, overall uh, reviews do show it, and when you don't see significant effects, the um, antidepressant drugs do still have an effect in the right direction. Same sort of thing with, uh, we talked about with secondhand smoke, which is we never seem to find less than 0.05 with secondhand smoke, but it always goes in the way that it's bad for you. There's, there's, there are no studies going, it's actually kind of good for you, you know, <laughs> same kind of thing. So there's nobody saying, nah, these things are actually causing depression, you know. But no, they aren't the panacea. We thought they were, especially in the early 90s, just sec, John, in the early 90s when, when Prozac would hit the market, the first SSRI, Prozac was actually Time's Man of the Year. Now, that's not as the honor people think it is. It was Hitler twice, it was Stalin once, and it was Osama bin Laden once. It's not always good. One time it was you. I don't mean you specifically, it was the rise of social media. Yeah, John. So, um, do all the drugs work for depression when they, people do so, something on serotonin? Yeah, they all seem to do something with serotonin. Um, generally, it's monoamines, but it seems like Serotonin's the important thing here, yeah. But it's not just that you need more serotonin. It's not just that we can inject you with serotonin or give you LSD, because it's basically serotonin. 
Because that's what the press people need, is just a trip of you thought. It's a joke. Don't do that. So yeah, it's, it's, way, it's way more complicated. It's not just serotonin, but it, it certainly is, yeah, that's what I'm saying, is that it certainly matters. Yeah. So monoaminoxidase inhibitors, uh, I'm make sure my notes here, I'm a few things I'm make sure I say. Okay, good. Monoaminoxidase inhibitors were discovered by accident. Uh, well, not the, not originally. I mean, sorry, originally they were developed for tuberculosis. And it turned out that some of the people that they were taking this for TB also had depressive symptoms and they didn't have as many of them. So it's completely dumb luck. These drugs were developed to treat TB, and it turns out they have antidepressant qualities. Same thing with tricyclic antidepressants. They, they, it's the same thing. So again, they were not developed for depression. They were developed for now, uh, tricyclic, it's got three rings. That's why it's that's what they're called tricyclic antidepressants. That's because the shape of the molecule. So that's, you might wonder, why is that there? To show you where this pain comes from. The new second generation antidepressants, the here we're mostly talking about SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Uh, these come out in the late 80s, early 90s, the first one being Prozac, fluoxetine, and when it comes out, it changes everything. People were taking Prozac for reasons that had nothing to do with depression. They were taking it as basically a personality cosmetic. I uh, will talk about that near the end of this lecture today. Yeah, we'll have time. Uh, People were taking, oh, I got a big meeting, I better take a Prozac. It's like that was happening. Oh, yeah. I feel like that wouldn't be good. It's probably not a great idea. Because you're getting like this spike. Yeah, also the fact that these drugs, the antidepressant effects to happen, it takes, can take between right. a month, a week, and six weeks for them to work. So, in fact, taking one, one Prozac, if you're not a Prozac user, does nothing anyway. It wouldn't do anything at all. Not really. No, your body would adjust, adjust very quickly. Your body likes keeping your brain chemistry the way it is, even yeah. if it's not good. <laughs> so this would be a problem. Yeah, it doesn't, it probably doesn't do anything. Oh yeah, it was a big thing in the 90s. Early 90s, late 80s. Like I remember people in grad school taking Prozac before giving a talk. Um, yeah, what if it was like a, like 100 milligrams of like an SMR? And you just take it one time? <sighs> It'll, it'll have a physiological effect right away, but yeah. it doesn't have any behavioral effect. It doesn't look like. Okay. Yeah. The, the, not anything. The, no, nothing desirable. You might get a dry mouth and yeah, fast beating heart, which doesn't sound like it would calm me down to give a talk. Yeah. Maybe hike your head. Yeah. So it's 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 very strange. That's kind of what would happen. Yeah. Please. Um. Sorry, I don't know if you said this or not, but um, about the Prozac and people taking it kind of only when needed. Don't they do that like benzodiazepines? Like they have like drugs you can take kind of only when you need it. Mm -hmm. Sure, that's the thing. I mean, this is there was a lot of controversy when people were using it as basically a personality cosmetic. Um, shouldn't do that. Blah blah blah. And it's like we do that all the time. <laughs> people 
people do that all the time. You just don't like it because this is a, a drug that's used for something else. But it's done, you know, people, people used to uh, take all kinds of drugs to do things. Like soldiers take drugs to go into battle. Some do. Because it's a way to get through, you know, being a soldier and your job is to kill people and other people try to kill you back. It's kind of an intense kind of line of work. So people take drugs. I'm not saying it's great, good, but I'm not saying it's bad either. It just is. Yeah, I, I always found it very funny that people got really worked up about it. It doesn't bother me. You know, I, I just, I don't see any problem with it, but that's just me. John? So um, what is NRI? Oh, yeah, right. So this is selective serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Okay, so that's a new kind of drug. They also, uh, what's, that's got a name. I want to make sure I get the name right. Well, facts, uh, something, I can't read that. My notes are too small. I can read them here. Ha, here we go. Well, Wenlfaxine, which is, uh, I forget what it is. It's one we've all heard of. Yes. Dave, I think that's a Fexor, right? Yes, that's, that is what it is. That is exactly what it is. I was just about to look it up, copy and paste it into Wikipedia to find out the name of the uh, drug, uh, the, 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 the claim. That's right, that's what that is. So SSNRIs also are antidepressants, uh, and they seem to be effective. Now, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors probably don't work. As antidepressants, they do other things. They block the reuptake of norepinephrine. It's early enough days, though, with NRIs that I don't think anybody really knows yet. So yeah, John, the S is that's S is serotonin, N is norepinephrine. So selective serotonin, N, norepinephrine, reuptake inhibitor. Norepinephrine, norepinephrine, reuptake inhibitor. Yeah, thank you. Selective serotonin. Thank you very much. That's what they pay me for. Selective fire. No, selective. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know what you're doing there. <laughs> it was, I was just joking around. I don't know what you're doing. I got the ground. Then there's lithium, salts of lithium, lithium carbonate. These drugs, Especially like all these drugs, they're often very expensive. You want to hope you have a drug plan. Whole country have a drug plan soon, apparently. It's kind of cool. Um, happily, that's cheap. It's just a salt of lithium. So it's nice and cheap. What's lithium do? Lithium is a mood stabilizer that helps with the with the manic part of bipolar. Now, lithium does a lot of things. <coughs> lithium does a lot of different things. I want to make sure I get this correct because I don't want to lose my heart. So it modulates glutamate, it affects dopamine uh, signaling, uh, nitric ox and nitric oxide signaling. So it attenuates, so it, it's like a volume control on dopamine and 
uh, nitric oxide, but also, oh, yeah, glutamate. And glutamate, as you know, you know, universally excitatory, so if it's, it's slowing down glutamate, that makes, okay, makes some sense, I guess. We don't really know how that works. Yeah, listen. So if lithium is combating the positive effects if we, yeah, sure. If, if you want to use the sort of positive negative terms like in schizophrenia, right? Yeah, yeah um, sure. For somebody who has like, uh, like rapid cycle bipolar, where they're yeah. like, how would they? Oh, you take it all the time. You take these drugs to control your would disease. You, would you, you take, take both? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You would take them both. You might now. You might not take lithium. There are anti-mania drugs, mood stabilizing drugs that are, that exist. The thing is lithium's cheap, like it's cheap. It's also got a therapeutic index of like three. So you gotta be really careful with lithium. You can die easy with lithium, like. It's really scary. It is. But the thing is it's cheap and it works. Yeah. But lithium is, uh, I had a student in Newfoundland who I was, well, I was teaching intro psych and I was talking about drugs and he comes up to me after class and he says, so you know a lot about drugs. Actually, sorry, he said, so you know a lot about drugs, right? <laughs> Newfoundland. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, uh, I just started taking lithium. I said, good, good for you. I just got diagnosed. He goes, yeah, and it's, I, I, school's better and everything. I said, that's great. He said, but, and I looked at him and I said, um, because then the lights, I turned the lights on and it had the same coloring as this room, kind of a green hue. And I looked at him and I just went, I went, son, you're green. I said, did you take two pills instead of one? He said, well, I missed a dose. You're not supposed to do that with lithium. Because you know with other drugs, it'll often say if you miss a dose, take two. In fact, antidepressants say that. You don't do that with lithium because if the LD50 is just three times the ED50, that means that if you take two instead of one, you're getting really close to the part where you're gonna die. And I said, so did you take two? And he said, yeah, because I missed the dose. And I said, you, you do that with your antidepressants. You don't do that with your lithium. I said, we're going to, we're going to go get you to the hospital. You need to be cleaned up. You're going to be fine. And of course, this is about 1999, maybe 2000. So not everybody had a phone in their pocket. So we walked. We found, uh, where did I go? I can't. One secretary's office, and I just got the phone, and I said, "You, can you call anybody?" And he called his dad, and we got to the hospital. He got an eighty-two intrasec. Uh, but it was an amazing thing to watch because he just he took two pills and he got lithium poisoning, which is, by the way, apparently incredibly unpleasant. That's how we make rats sick for learned taste aversion experiments. We give them lithium. We just poison them. Not when I say we, I mean humans. I, I didn't. I've not, don't get mad at me. I've never made a rat sick. There's other things that I've done to rats, but <laughs> made them sick. Well, it's involved in the experiment. Anyway, lithium's kind of scary, but it works. We don't know the mechanism. People always get freaked out by that. We don't know the mechanism really for these either. <laughs> so, it's, it is a little weird, but we don't know. Okay. So, uh, right, absorption is similar for all three types of these, which is great. And it's most, you take them obviously orally. Uh, the stuff that gets absorbed, but the stuff that doesn't get absorbed goes through first pass metabolism and gets uh, destroyed mostly. Which is, this is what you want. 
You want to have a stable, steady dose and not extra lingering around causing interactions with other drugs, etc. Somewhere between one and three hours for a peak blood concentration, usually. So, and usually we take antidepressants. You take them on a schedule. Take one every four hours or some such, right? It's a little longer with SSRIs than it is with the others. As I said, your lithium's a poison. It has a therapeutic index of like three. You just got to be careful with all. And usually, when you go on lithium, very often you have you have blood work done for the first couple of months every week to make sure that everything's okay. Because you know you might be taking a dose that's getting close to the dose that'll hurt you. Right? Okay. So these drugs cross all the barriers. This is, by the way, you want them to cross the blood-brain barrier. Yeah, sorry, Jenny, right? So with uh, SSRIs taking longer, is that just for it to reach peak blood concentration? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Monoamyoxidase inhibitors have a pretty short half-life uh, comparatively. Tricyclics are much longer, more like about 24 hours. SSRIs are 50 to 20 hours. Except for fluoxetine, that's Prozac. It is a six-day half-life. But you can see with a six-day half you want that, by the way, in a therapeutic drug. You want something that you don't have to take constantly. You want something that, if you miss a dose, you can take two. You want something that is nice and steady because this is a, you're controlling a dis, the disease you have, <coughs> right? You don't want ups and downs with that. You want that to be nice and steady. Norfluoxetine has a half-life of 16 days, so that's not, that's kind of crazy. You might think, why would you do that? Well, imagine taking a drug that you'd take once a week. Wouldn't that be great? You'd take a pill once a week, right? It'd be amazing. You wouldn't have to remember to take your medication. I mean, you know, you, you have to be reminded once a, you know, on, the, on payday, I take my medication. That'd be great, right? Okay. Okay, I'm going to tell you that these things are obvious, but it may not be that you, that you find them obvious, so let's talk about it. So monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So let's say you've got a bunch of monoamine neurotransmitters floating around. So there's one, and there's one, and there's one. And let's say, and I'm making these numbers up, obviously, because there's more than four molecules in your brain. <laughs> let's say you need two to be normal. And under two, you're depressed. Again, that's not true, but I'm, let's pretend for a moment, okay? Now, you think, oh, that seems like a lot. Aha, but there is an enzyme in you called monoamine oxidase. Anything that ends in A's is an enzyme, right? Monoamine oxidase comes along for, for all of us 
who are doing just fine. Everything's fine. We're not freaking out because it's nine degrees in February and the planet's destroying itself with because with, of us. We're not freaking out because we have two monoamine molecules. <laughs> so monoamine oxidase comes along and kills a couple of those. Just doesn't kills, when I say kill, they aren't alive. But you know, it, it, it breaks them down. Oh good, but we still have two molecules, we're fine. Oh, but what if you don't have enough monoamine? So let's, let's get rid of some of them. There we go. Oh, I've only got two now. I'm going to be so depressed because my, when my monoamine oxidase comes along and eats these, I'll be totally depressed. Aha. So monoamine oxidase, remember that one's black, that one's red, right? Monoamine oxidase. They're floating along. Monoamine oxidase. I like to pretend maybe these are actually, they're all shaped like Mao Zedong. <laughs> Nothing, nobody, one person knows who Mao Zedong is. That's disturbing. Um, the leader of China for like 30 years. You guys ever read a book? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So if we have a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, it comes along. What'll it be look? What'll it look like? I'm gonna draw a little plane, but I don't think that's it's actually kind of stupid. So I'm not gonna do that. But monoamine oxidase comes, uh, inhibitor comes along and just not gets rid of those. Now we have monoamines. We have two. Remember, we need two. Two is the magic number. We need two monoamine molecules and we'll ever find. Again, I'm obviously vastly oversimplifying it, but that's, that's how they work. Does that make sense? Does it just like break down the monoamine oxidase? Uh, not exactly. Okay. There are, so what they'll do is they break down, um, that there are two kinds of monoamine oxidase. Monoamine oxidase A and monoamine oxidase B. Okay. Most, uh, actually all, monoamine oxidase drugs work on monoamine oxidase A. And they, the older monoamine oxidase drugs bind to monoamine oxidase, so monoamine oxidase inhibitor drugs bind to monoamine oxidase A, and they make a chemical bond to it and create a new molecule. It's not monoamine oxidase anymore. So it basically just gets rid of it. <coughs> the problem is monoamine oxidase is an important enzyme in other things other than just breaking down like it does other stuff. And there's a it's a tyrosine, I can't remember the name. There is a amino acid that is present in certain foods, and if you can't break that stuff down, you can end up with a hypertensive, uh, basically heart. Okay, so if that stuff builds up, uh, and that's in things like hard cheeses, salami. So there's a lot of things, if you go on monoamine oxidase inhibitors, you're told you can't eat this stuff anymore. 
that thing is there are new drugs called reversible monoamine oxidase inhibitors. They don't create a new molecule with the monoamine oxidase. They just bond using uh, like hydrophilic bonds and <coughs> so they are quite ionic bonds. They don't actually end up creating a new molecule. So they're reversible. Because if you take monoamine oxidase inhibitors, you don't have any more monoamine oxidase. It's gone. And if you have one of these hypertensive episodes, well, that's bad. Because they, you know, it's a heart attack. On the other hand, if you have the reversible kind, which for some reason aren't popular in the States, they're everywhere else they're popular. I don't know why this is. Um, the reversible ones are a lot safer because you can basically give somebody uh, another drug that takes care of the drug that is binding to the monoamine oxidase and it, 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 it removes the drug because it's, they aren't uh, like holding the thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, oh, the, um, so, I, so the amino acid, is that the mono? No, <laughs> I don't I, I have it written down here. I, for some reason, I can't remember it. Oh, just a second. I got any notes right? Yeah, yeah there's a second. Uh, it is. Oh, tyramine. I knew it was T. So I'll just look at that. Can you order? So the one that the amino acid is uh, tyramine. Uh, <coughs> so that amino acid, if you get too much of that. Uh, you can't break that down without monoamine oxidase. It's part of the metal bar pathway to break down that, that thing. So that builds up and you get really sick. You can have a heart attack. But the nice thing is with these new reversible ones, these REMAs, they're called reversible monoamine oxidase inhibitors, uh, they're a lot safer. So you're seeing the uptake of those a lot more now. It's, it's starting to happen. Yeah. Tricyclic antidepressants stop the reuptake of monoamine neurotransmitters. What they're doing is, in the end, they do the same thing. In fact, all these drugs are the same thing. The end result's the same thing. But they, instead of, instead of stopping an enzyme from working, what they do is they stop reuptake. So they stop reuptake of monoamines. So now instead of, so it's not just, we can just make it more pictures here. Delete some stuff, delete some stuff. Why won't those go away? Oh no, I need the monoamines. Let's, let's leave those there. Don't I? Yeah. So let's put a couple, we, we need two. Without two, we're depressed. Remember, you need two monoamine molecules, you won't be depressed, just two. So, what I hope is that someone who isn't here in class today, just listening to this and writes the test next week and writes that, you know, you only need two. Um, so let's say you only have two. Well, they get, let's say they get taken back up into another neuron, reuptake, right? They go back up here. Uh-oh, now we don't have any monoamine. 
But if I block this, if I block, if I make this not happen, how am I gonna make that not happen? Well, there are different proteins, they're called transporters, that do reuptake. So there is a serotonin reuptake uh, transport protein. There is a norepinephrine reuptake transport protein. The, the, these things, all they do is they, they, they bind onto those proteins and make them not those things anymore. Okay? So that's how these work. They work the same way as SSRIs do, except SSRIs only go to serotonin. They just block the reuptake of serotonin. So they, plo they block uh, the serotonin reuptake transporter, or, the, or CERT, S-E-R-T. They block CERT. Okay. So these block the serotonin reuptake transporter. By the way, these effects so the, the, the blocking the monoamine oxidase or blocking reuptake, these effects happen right away. You take the drugs and they happen right away. The antidepressant effects take days, weeks, a couple months sometimes. It doesn't usually take a couple of months, by the way, but it can, and that's not ridiculous. So if you're on an antidepressant and your psychiatrist is saying, no, just give it, give it time, give it time. Listen to him or her, okay? They know what they're doing. After six weeks or a couple of months, they might switch those, switch drugs or give you a different dose or something. So why, why, why? How? See, the difference is I, if you were having a psychotic episode and you're hearing voices, I give you chlorpromazine, in 40 minutes, the voices are gone. They're gone. And you're like, wow, that was creepy. I was hearing voices. But they're gone now. I also thought I was Napoleon for a bit. I mean, it's obviously not quite that. But, you know. This takes a long time. It just makes you go, hmm. A couple things. Maybe it's not just serotonin. That's probably what you said. But it's also the case that when you take a drug like this, your brain is like, no, no, you're supposed to have that much serotonin, I, 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 I'm just gonna make more. And it takes a long time, a couple of weeks perhaps, for your body to adjust, your nervous system to adjust to having that drug in you. That's the current thinking. Because they do work. They aren't, the thing is, they aren't a cure-all. You also need at least at this point still, you need talking therapy. Like you still need someone telling you everything's gonna be okay and other things. I think it's more complicated than that. I don't know much clinical psychology. I don't think it's just people going, everything's fine. Stop worrying so much. This is why I'm not a therapist, because I just be going, oh, what's it like? Oh, it must be horrible. Can you see properly? Because I can't. I would turn every session into, it's going to be me bitching about things, and then you're going to have to hear it. It's called Dave-centric therapy. It's, uh, it's a new approach that I'm taking. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird thing. You were going to ask something, John, or you just stretch it? I was just stretching. Okay, good. Yeah, so, it's, I, I don't know what to make of the fact that it takes that long. Like I said, the stuff I've read, says that your body's getting used to it, et cetera, and I guess I buy that. But, I don't know, man. 
what it tells me is it's not just, I, I think it's not just serotonin. I think there's something else happening, but that's just me. Who the hell am I, right? Well, how does lithium work? <laughs> I've got a hint in a second. We've got a rough idea. Is lithium considered second generation? No, lithium is just a solid lithium. It's its own thing. I'll talk about the sec. There is a notion about why lithium works, and it's probably we talked before, but we make it to probably that. The nice thing about lithium, like I think, why would you keep taking lithium? It's it's dangerous, but it's cheap. And it works, like it works. Okay, so here's some ideas about why it might work. The first one is magic, and I don't think it's probably magic, but it could be. It doubt it's magic. It does a few things. It decreases norepinephrine release and increases uh, serotonin synthesis. Alters GABA, and it attenuates glutamate. Now, that's the current thinking about why lithium works. There's a, the proate, which is a, an anti-mania drug, a mood stabilizer, does work on, on, uh, as a mood stabilizer, and it attenuates glutamate. And so does lithium attenuate glutamate, as I said earlier. So if they both work on mania, and the one that we know works and only does this by attenuating glutamate and lithium attenuates glutamate, that's, that's, maybe that's how lithium works. So that's the reason here. It's not, nobody knows this for sure, but that's what it works. But it's a good guess. It's a good Uh, it also affects, as I mentioned, uh, the nitric oxide signaling pathway. Which is not the same as nitrous oxide, it's a different thing. Yep, uh, let's see, left then right. We have the same one. Oh, good. Well, uh, ask it in unison to promote positive. I don't really want you to do that. <laughs> what does attenuating mean? Oh, uh, turn the volume down. Don't feel, don't feel bad when I don't know what a word means. The right thing to do is to ask. That's, it's not just to start use, misusing it. My favorite thing is people hear a new word, and they say, well, I think that probably means. Never feel bad, Jules. They can think it word better. So that's like, okay, uh, it's, uh, boy, I'm feeling pretty attenuated today. And you look like an idiot, so you should always ask. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what does, um, so what does, what does the uh, effect no signal power? Oh, no, it's not, no, it's nitric oxide. Oh. Yeah, nitric oxide which is not nitrous oxide, thing. Oh. but nitric oxide is used as a signaling uh, in the nervous system. So the nitrous oxide, which is it also, whippets. What, what else there's GABA? Oh, uh, lithium, these are all things lithium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Except magic, it doesn't actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's a joke, that's a little joke side. <laughs> right. Boy, I'm feeling really attenuated right now. <laughs> I'm gonna start saying that. Let's, let's become, become our slogan. 
and we can do it among ourselves and people won't know why we're doing it and it'll be fine. Make it a commercial? Let's do that. Let's see if we can make an ad for people to use the, the word attenuate incorrectly. I think that is funny. Yeah. All right. Again, remember, lithium is dangerous. <laughs> I keep saying this and probably somebody in here takes lithium because it's a good chance. And you've probably been told this a zillion times by your physician. You've probably been told this every single time you get your prescription refilled. But I'm going to say it again. Lithium is very dangerous. Um, even if you're taking it without taking, you know, the lethal dose. Um, elevated white blood cells, headaches, confusion, memory problems. So, and uh, 0.4 millimoles per liter of blood, that concentration, that's what you need to be okay, like to control your mania. And about 1.2 will kill you. Okay. Oh, great. So it's this, it's serious stuff. It works. The nice thing about it is it actually works and it's cheap. Right? We should, I know you sh we shouldn't actually uh, have to care about what drugs cost. And within the next, by 2025, 20, apparently, the uh, government will introduce a, a pharmacare plan for the country. And that's wonderful. I, I think it's great. Uh, but we do have to take those things into account. Okay, let's think of some, let's, what are some of the effects beyond the antidepressant effects of some of these antidepressant drugs? Acetylcholine, uh, yeah, acetylcholine effects. These are monoamine oxidase and tricyclic antidepressant effects because they also affect acetylcholine. So you end up with a dry mouth, constipation, dizziness, irregular heartbeat, blurred vision, and ringing in your ears. Most common. Dry mouth, least common uh, is the blurred vision and the ringing in the ears together, I think. Constipation is pretty common. This is an enzyme, probably, you know, uh, MAO rather, is, is a, an enzyme that's needed to deal with uh, the digestion. SSRIs can lead to nausea, nervousness, headache, insomnia, and they can lead to something called serotonin syndrome. Serotonin syndrome kind of looks a lot like a manic episode. Symptoms of serotonin uh, symptom, yeah, the symptoms of serotonin syndrome. Ooh. A high body temperature, agitation, increased reflexes, uh, tremoring, sweating, dilated pupils, uh, diarrhea, and your body temperature goes up. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors block monoamine oxidase. Be a problem. The key here is that if you can get, if you're taking a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, the key thing is to get um, one of those ones that is a reversible one, a REMA, reversible, uh, what's that stand for again? 
inhibitor monoamine oxidase inhibitor A. Because that's, it's, it's reversible. The irreversible one, you're out of monoamine oxidase. You don't have any now. And you'll need a few days to get some after you've had a pill. The reversible ones, you can revert, they, it's, it's not a big deal. So they're much safer. Tricyclics are actually used as sleeping pills. They put you to sleep. Um, oh, geez. Offhand, I can't name one. That's okay. So, yeah, I can't name one. So you gotta be very careful with those. They don't tend to be given out in large amounts. Because you don't give a drug that can easily be used to kill yourself to people who might kill themselves. I know when my, when my mom was, uh, after my dad died, my mom was given a prescription for a very weak dose of these, and it was just for that. It was to, so, so, she could, so she could sleep. Because yeah. <clears throat> she told me what the drug was, and I said, oh, that's a tricyclic, mom. It's funny, see, I recognize the name, but I can't pick one offhand. I said, uh, how much are they giving you? She said, those are five milligram pills. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't take too many of those, okay? Don't worry, I got the speech from the doctor. <laughs> Some SSRIs affect REM, others don't. So it depends on the drug. The, the, the sleep effects that these drugs have may, in fact, be antidepressant effects. So the fact that maybe you have a little less REM sleep, for example, may not be that it may actually be a sort of a, a side effect of the antidepressant part of it. Because if you're not depressed, you spend less time in bed. Right? So there's a lot of things that at, on the surface look like they're bad side effects, then you think, wait a second, maybe that's just an antidepressant effect. And that quite possibly is what the sleep effects here are. And fluoxetine makes, apparently, I've never taken Prozac, so I don't know this, but anybody here who has may have experienced this, they can make your dreams much more vivid. I know when I take too much melatonin, uh, I, I, get, I get really weird, vivid dreams. But by too, I don't mean I take too many. It's like usually like a new bottle or something. It's like it's fresher. I don't know what the hell's going on. There's no euphoria with these drugs. And there's no drug liking, right? Drug liking, I got that in quotes there because drug liking is a real thing. It, it means that you, exactly what it sounds like, but we don't all like different drugs, right? Like, I don't think I would like LSD. I was talking to Tyler before the class, and I just, this doesn't seem like something I'd like. I would not have a drug-liking reaction to watching, watching sound and hearing colors. I would have a, I'm terrified of this. Whereas I get a, I get a really nice reaction to THC. I have a lot of drug-liking reaction to that. Alcohol, too, I like it. Right? But there's no liking effect here. There's, no one, there's nobody going, boy, Prozac makes me feel great. They may say, oh, I like my medication. I've heard a lot of people who are depressed say, I love my medication because it makes me have a normal life. But it's not like the same as, I like getting high. Like, it's not that same kind of thing. That's what the, the liking thing means. There may be some cognitive effects, especially with TCA, and that's usually a confusion thing. 
Again, they can use sleeping pills, so it could be that. Now, the idea of the personality cosmetic, a couple things. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that before I answer Erica's question. Um, the no real liking, does that mean that it's not really abused? Like you're not really yeah. getting addicted to it? Yeah, there's no, or like there's no euphoria, there's no fun yeah. taking these drugs. So you're not really, it doesn't really have the potential to be like. Yeah, there's no real abuse potential here, no. The, I mean, if you want to talk about abuse, you could say that taking a bottle of tricyclics to kill yourself is abuse, I guess. Yeah, but not like the same one. Really not the same as like, go, you, you wouldn't go down, there's nobody downtown selling fluoxetine in the corner. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I mean, you know, frankly, without a pharmacare plan yet, probably make some money if you had some, I shouldn't say those things out loud. <laughs> so if he, if he knocked off a drugstore, uh, <laughs> The personality cosmetic thing, what are your thoughts on this? What do, you, do you think it's bizarre or who cares? Or let's assume it would work, which it probably doesn't. But assuming you could take a drug that allowed you to give a better presentation in my class, or assuming you could take a drug that allowed you to have, write a better test, do you think that's bad or good or not any of those things? Any thoughts on this? Do you care? It depends on the pros and cons, I guess. You go first, then you. Go. So what are the cons, pros and cons? Well, it, I guess it depends on what the drug is, but like if it's, I, I guess, well, then with these, there's not really much addiction. No, there, there isn't, yeah. But it, say if it was something else that could be a, an addiction potential and it's like that might not be something you want to risk, you know? Yeah, yeah, Isaac, same thoughts or similar? Yeah. Yes. Right, so let's, let's pretend that we could get a drug that and of course, they're always working, far, far, you know, big pharma is always working on drugs with fewer and fewer side effects because they're, they're better. Um, so let's say we end up with one that we get an antidepressant that works very quickly and that also doesn't have a whole lot of side effects. Would you have a problem with someone taking one of those on a day when they're, on, they're feeling down? Go just talk with Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. What I would question is how accessible they are to the general public. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because if everyone has access to these at yeah. any time, and there's no like real like health risks, I mean, like, everyone has the same opportunity to take it if they want to or not. So I don't really think it's that. Yeah. Maybe come to that. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Can Oh, I agree with you. Just be a part of, like, maybe your body needs to rejuvenate or whatever. So you need to spend time in bed to kind of... Oh, yeah. Oh. So by now your body's not going to be taking it. Now you're just taking a drug to yes. survive. How often are you taking that drug now? now well, and I agree with you. I agree with you to a point. I think you're right about, well, how often... Well, and there's no right or wrong here, but... Well, there is. It's my class. Uh, <laughs> kidding. What I'm saying is that if you took it all the time, I guess that's bad, but also, how's it my business? Yeah, it here it is. Cope just like that. Why is that better than taking a pill? Because now you have the ability to do it on your own. You don't need to rely on No, you don't. Know. Maybe you don't. Know. I don't know. <laughs> all I'm saying is that I see what you're saying, yeah. but there's a whole other end of this you can talk to. Jane. But you see, I'm, I, I think there's 
it's, it's a complicated thing. You wanted to say something? Else? I was pretty much going to say the same, same thing. Same thing? And yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, what if you're in an instance where you don't have access to that yeah. drug and you need yeah. the yes. skills? Which, which I think then speaks to Henry's point very much. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, John. So um, speak, talking about um, Kendra's point, yes. you'll need to, um, you can have a, have a, a CBD to uh, calm your body sure. down. Sure, and people do that, right? Day. CBD, I take CBD, so does he, to calm down now and now. You having a rough time? Is it bad? I don't know. Like, I think we're afraid of drugs. That's all I'm saying. I think we're just afraid of drugs. But I also see what you're saying. What you're saying. Yes? Um, to go on Kendra's point. I'm, yep. I'm not disagreeing with you here. <laughs> but it's okay to disagree with people. Uh, if you're saying like mental illnesses should be clumped into just health as a whole. Yeah. And going back to like the well, I feel a little, you know, I have like a little bit of diabetes today. Are we gonna like say Oh I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, if you if you take this to the extreme, it's ridiculous. Don't misunderstand me. It'd be like saying, I want to have a good day today because I have a talk to give. Well, that's a, I'll take three of the smile pills, <laughs> two of the pay attention pills. Like, did we want that? Probably not. So that's kind of, I think, what you're saying here. On the other hand, I wear glasses because I can't see that well. That's what I mean, though. Is like, that wrong? It's essential if you're saying it's like a health issue. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just wonder. I, I, all I'm saying, I don't think it's as black and white as people think it is. Uh, Liz, and then we will have to probably wrap it up later. Um, I think another thing about this hypothetical is like, if this is a thing that people have access to, then we should allow them to be a fun to take it regardless of that's, that's kind of, yeah, uh, I take a very libertarian view like that as well. Yeah. Um, one more slide. Let's see. Uh, just quickly, tolerance and withdrawal. The side effects and the main effects cause, um, show tolerance, I'm sorry. And withdrawal can happen. And withdrawal usually means uh, agitation, nervousness, chills, muscle aches, things like that. And it's a lot easier to keep people on SSRIs because the, the side effects, I think as you saw, aren't really as nasty. None of these side effects are horrible, but the most unpleasant ones are probably the old style uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors that don't, that aren't Remus, the, the older ones, that's probably unpleasant of all of them. The SSRIs are the least unpleasant. And I know people who take SSRIs who, have, who feel no side effects at all, so. And on that note, we should probably pack it in and we'll finish this topic on Thursday when we'll talk about also LSD and the demon weed. Thanks everybody.
outside of my door Well, I can't love you anymore No So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.